0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Before we get started today, I want to draw your attention to one of the items that was on your seat when you came in. So go ahead, look in your connection card pile. You'll notice that there is an Easter invite card attached to that as well. And over the last few weeks, we spent time talking about Easter, which is next Sunday, which to say out loud is crazy because I feel like we just got through having snow all the time. Uh, But we've been encouraging you and thinking about Easter and challenging you to not just attend, but to invite as well. Because there are people in your life that need to experience the hope that Jesus has to offer. And I've said this a ton in the past year, Uh, people in your life are 70 to 85% more likely to say yes to a personal invite to church, especially around Easter and Christmas, right? An actual invite, not a passive thing, like where it's like, it's on Facebook and I think they saw it, but like an actual invite face to face. And so we want you all to have the courage to invite people you know to come to church with you next week. But instead of just telling you that you should do it, we wanted to make it a little bit easier for you today. So one of the questions I often get is, how do I figure out who I should invite to church? And that's a great question. And there are some people in your life where it's pretty clear that you shouldn't be asking them, right? You've asked them before. Maybe they said no, but like in a really aggressive way. When they say, please stop asking me, maybe take a break from asking them. There could be people in your life that already go to church, right? So you don't want to invite people that go to other churches, which is good because our goal is not to steal people from other churches. But there are three things that you can look for when having a conversation with someone will help you know that this person might be open to being invited to church. But here's what's really important with that. The baseline for these three things is that you actually know these people, right? Like you're not just walking down Market Street going, you should go to church, you should go to church, here's Easter, like please don't do that. Like, just seriously, please don't do that. Even if you're like, I feel like God's telling me to do that. Don't do that. Uh, but the baseline is you have a relationship with these people, right? You talk to them at least a little bit. You know a little bit about their life. And so there's three things that when talking to someone, when you will know, maybe they'll be open to it. And there's, these are the three things. When they say that things are not going well, or when you're talking to someone, you hear someone say, I was not prepared for, and fill in the blank. Or they say, I'm not from here. Right? They're new to the area. These are people in your life that need community. These are people in your life that need hope. These are people in your life that need what Jesus can offer. These are people in your life that might be willing to give church a shot because life is hard and they're trying to find a solution to it. And so as you have these conversations over the next week or even the previous ones you've had, like, this is how you know somebody says, when they say these things, you're like they might be interested in seeing if Jesus is the answer to what they're going through. Another question I get is how do I invite people to church? And this is also a great question. Personally, I am terrible at inviting people to church. And so if you're terrible at it, high five, like we're the same way. I get super nervous. I stumble over my words. I get really awkward. I could literally be talking to someone and they could say out loud, man, I'm looking for a church to go to this Easter. And I'd be like, yeah, good luck. Google that, right? Like I don't even know how to respond in that case because even when people make it super easy to invite, I still don't do it well. Now, compare that to my wife, who's incredible when it comes to inviting people to church. Last week, she was at the salon getting her hair cut, and one of the questions that her hairdresser asked her was, what I, her husband, do for a living? And so she shared that I was a pastor, and we started a church called Collective. This immediately led to her hairdresser sharing with Ray why she doesn't go to church and some of the pain she experienced when she grew up in the church. And so Ray invited her to Easter Egg Collective or this, this is even better. While Ray was in labor with Harper, like in between contractions, six months ago, we're in the hospital, she's having contractions. In between contractions, she invited our midwife to church and her family comes to collective now. Like it's insane, in fact, I said this earlier, if you need a good midwife, like we have somebody. She goes to this church, she's wonderful. But Ray has this gift that I don't have. So whether you're great at inviting or not, we wanna help you when it comes to Easter. And so here's what we did. Attached to each Easter invite card, you will find a $5 gift card to Starbucks. This is not for you. This is not like you did it, congratulations, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, some of you like, saw it and immediately started thinking about your drink. You can go get that after church, but this gift card isn't for you. This, is gift card, this gift card is for the person that you're inviting. So what we want you to do is we want you to grab the invite card and the Starbucks gift card and invite someone to Easter at Collective. Let them know you want to buy them coffee because life is hard and we all need caffeine and then invite them, right? It's super simple. Here's the deal though. Please don't take the gift card if you have no intention of inviting. That's messed up. Jesus is watching you. (laughs) But if you have multiple people in your life that you want to invite and you think some Starbucks would help, maybe that would give you the courage to kind of take that step. Come find me after service. I have extras and I will give you all the cards you want if it's allowing you to create the space to invite the people you know in your life to come and experience Jesus. Now listen, we understand that inviting people to church takes courage. It takes faith. It takes realizing that they might say no and being okay with that. And so we wanted to try to make it a little bit easier for you this Easter if you do grab an invite card, what we'd love for you to do is actually share it on social media. You can tag at My Collective Church or use the hashtag MyCollectiveChurch. And the reason why is because we want people to know that Collective is a church full of messy and broken people who need Jesus. But we also invite our messy and broken friends, coworkers, neighbors, and family to join us. So our staff is praying this week, we're praying that we all have courage, I'm praying that I get opportunities that are super easy so that I don't get really uncomfortable, because I have to tell people I'm the pastor of the church, I'm like, do you like this church? I'm like, I love it, but I'm weird. So ultimately, we're hoping that this creates good opportunities for us to invite and care for the people that live in our city. Now let's jump into the sermon today. So we're in a series called Hope in the Dark. And we've been in the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, and the book of Habakkuk has three chapters, and today we're in chapter three, and that's a really good thing. If you've been with us the past two weeks of this series, you're hopefully expecting to experience something good in chapter three. Let's talk about Habakkuk. If you missed the previous weeks, here's some of his backstory. So, Habakkuk is a minor prophet in the Old Testament that lived 600 years before Jesus. Now, Habakkuk was way different in the way that he ministered as a prophet. Most prophets would speak to people on behalf of God. God would give them something, God would give them a word, God would give them a challenge, then he'd bring it to the people. But Habakkuk is actually the opposite. Habakkuk listens to the people. He hears what they're experiencing, he feels their pain and he brings that to God. And what he said to God in the book of Habakkuk was honest and real and full of emotion. Essentially, he said, he cried out to God, God, I don't like what you're doing and I wish you would do something else. So Habakkuk chapter one is all about what so many of us do. Habakkuk finds himself wrestling with God, questioning God, crying out to God, because what he sees with his eyes is different than what he believes in his heart. You know, why is it so often that we believe that God can do something, we think he will do something, but then God doesn't? And that's Habakkuk's story. So he finds himself wrestling with God and asking God, where are you? Why are you not doing what I want you to do? And so chapter 1 is about wrestling. Now chapter 2 is all about waiting. In chapter 1, Habakkuk's asking God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then God speaks. And he tells Habakkuk the the opposite of what he wants to hear. God tells Habakkuk that he's going to raise up the Babylonians and they're going to destroy Habakkuk's people. And so in chapter 2, Habakkuk is waiting on God. He's got that news. He's kind of waiting to see what God does. And some of you are in the waiting zone. You're asking God, when are you going to hear my prayer? And we learned in Habakkuk 2 that if it seems slow, wait patiently. If it seems slow, wait patiently. So chapter 2 is about waiting. And that leads us to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, there seems to be a change in tone. In the first two chapters, you see angst, and you see agony, and you see disappointment. And some of you might feel like you're in that life right now, and that was Habakkuk. But at the end of chapter 2, after all the wrestling and all the waiting, Habakkuk says this, and it's kind of a change in perspective. We read this last week in Habakkuk 2.20. This is how he concludes chapter 2. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. So even through all this pain and through all this angst and through all this disappointment, he's proclaiming that God is still on the throne. He's saying God is still sovereign. God is still in charge. It's almost like Habakkuk has an epiphany that even though things are not going the way he'd like them to, even though things are not going the way he had hoped they would, he remembers that God is still God and God is still good. And he concludes by saying this. He says, let all the earth be silent before him. It's a little bit like Psalm 46 that says, be still and know that I am God. So I'm hurting and I'm confused and I don't understand, but God is in his holy temple. So let's be still and remember that God is good and he is in control. And then in chapter 3, Habakkuk kind of hits the reset button. Growing up, uh, I loved playing video games. I only recently stopped and you have a second kid, like video games aren't really a part of your life anymore. But I remember when I was three and I opened up with my brother our Nintendo for the first time ever. Like legitimately, I think that's my earliest memory is Christmas opening up a Nintendo. I don't know what that says about me, but it's a great memory. So growing up, I spent way too many hours playing video games, but I loved I played sports or first person shooters, adventure, all of them. And if you've ever played video games before, you know this. But one of the best tools you have when playing is the reset button. It's not cheating, it's just a resourceful way of starting over without losing your life. And I remember as a kid playing hours of Super Mario World which was a pretty tough game because of all the hidden levels and hidden worlds. And if I was struggling through a level or I was on the brink of dying, or maybe I missed like this tunnel or the secret thing that I was supposed to go through, I would just pause the game and reset. This drove my mom nuts. I used to do this in like sports games all the time too. I'd be about to like lose the Super Bowl and be like, reset, start over, because I wanted to play it again because I wanted to win. I don't like losing. But I would reset the level, or I'd reset the game, and I'd start over again. Then what I would do is I'd play it again, but with a different goal and a different perspective. I would change how I approach that level and play again. And this is kind of what Habakkuk does. Like, he pushes the reset button. He can't change the life he has been given, been given but he can change his approach. And so Habakkuk is wrestling, and Habakkuk is waiting, and it's painful but then he has a perspective change. And there's a word in verse one of Habakkuk three that I wanna to bring to your attention. And this is what it says, Habakkuk three one. It says, this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk on Shijanoth." Now Shijanoth is a real word, I promise. Shijanoth is actually the plural of shijin. That's a true story. That's stuff that you don't really need to know in real life, but it'll help today. Shijin is a word that's only used one time in the entire Bible in Psalm seven. And Shijanoth is only used one time here in Habakkuk three. Now, we don't know a lot about these words, but what we do know is that they're actually directions on how to sing a song. It's a musical term that's instructing a group of people on how to sing. And so Habakkuk 3, although we're going to say, like, this is what Habakkuk said, the reality is this is what Habakkuk was singing. This is what he was praising. And Shijunoth means to sing with strong emotion and with impassioned exuberance. It means wild and passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm. It means high-spirited praise. One article I read said it's not like this whiny cry-in-your-beer ballad, which I appreciate because that means it's not a country song. This is not a my dog died, my cow ran away, my boot has a hole in it kind of song. It's loud and joyful praise. Another article said this, it's praise punctuated with exclamation points. But what I want you to understand in Habakkuk 3, and this is really important, so make sure you hear this, is Habakkuk is doing this all in in passion singing to God before God did anything for him. Chapter 2 ends, perspective change, and then all of a sudden he begins to praise God. So he's praising God before God did what he asked him to do. Sometimes the most passionate and authentic praise is actually the praise before God provides. It's praise that's simply based on faith. It's praising God not for what he's going to do or what he's doing right now, but for who he is. This is just praising God for who God is, for his character, for his nature, for his goodness, for his glory. It's praise for the who and not the what. It's in Shijanov. It's praise before anything happens. And that's actually what Habakkuk does. And so he sings, I'm not going to sing, but he sings, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works in this time of our deep need. Help us again as you did in years gone by. So Habakkuk is praising God for the work that he's done in the past. He's saying, God, do it again. He's saying, God, I've seen you do it before. I know you can do it again. But even before you do it, I'm going to praise you. He's singing, God, I've seen you move. God, I've seen you save. God, I've seen you provide. God, you made a way when there was no way, and I believe you'll do it again. God, I've seen you work. I know you can. Please do it again. And so he's praising God, not for what's going on, but for who he is. And He's doing it in Chijanath passionately. Now, enough about Habakkuk. What do you do when your life gets difficult? What do you do when your life gets difficult? When you lose your job, when you get bad news, when you pray for something and you don't get what you prayed for, when you find yourself wanting something and you know that God can give it to you easily and God doesn't give it to you, what do you do? And we talked about this week one. When this happens to us, we often experience what Henry Blackley calls a crisis of belief. And so some people go into denial and they pretend like nothing bad is happening, Some people actually walk away from God and blame him for their pain. But what do you do? What do you do when what you see with your eyes is different than what you believe in your heart and you find yourself in the valley? What do you do when you're crying out to God, believing that he will hear your prayer, believing that he will move in a way that brings relief or brings a blessing or brings peace, and yet God doesn't do it? What do you do in the valley? So Habakkuk 3 actually teaches us two things that we should do when we struggle to find hope. And the first thing is this, is that we remember. We remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Habakkuk 3.3 says this, I see God moving across the deserts of Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with praise. Now, when you read about these places, about Edom and Mount Paran, they might mean nothing to you, but that's okay, because these places were very meaningful to Habakkuk. Edom and Paran were two places where God took the Israelites after they were slaves in Egypt. When they didn't think there was any way, when they thought they would be slaves forever, God changed the Pharaoh's heart, God split open the Red Sea, God caused them to walk through on dry land, God destroyed their enemies as they pursued them. So Habakkuk says to God, God, I remember when you were faithful. He says, I think back on your goodness, and God, I know you can do it again. And Habakkuk continues praising He says, his coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plagues follow close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. is saying, God, I remember your faithfulness. I remember your goodness. I remember your justice. I remember your presence. I remember when you were glorified for what you did. And if you keep reading through chapter three of Habakkuk, verses seven through 15, that's what he does over and over and over again. He praises God. He remembers the goodness and the faithfulness of God in the years past. Now here's what Habakkuk could have done. He could have remembered some of the things the other people of God remembered, right? In the Old Testament, there are many opportunities for for Habakkuk to know that God showed up, that God was present. He could have said, God, I remember when you provided for your people with manna from heaven and meat from a bird and water from a rock. He could have said, I remember when you shut the mouths of hungry lions and delivered Daniel and freed him. He could have said, I remember when you were with the three Hebrew children in the fire and they came out of the other side and were not burned. He could say, I remember when you raised the dead. I remember when you spoke life into dry bones and they came alive. Sometimes when you're in the valley, you have to remember the goodness And the faithfulness of God. I know for me, I struggle with this. Sometimes when I'm questioning God, I actually have to force myself to think back to his goodness and his faithfulness. Last week, we talked about one of the things that we can do is write things down. This is one of the reasons why I journal is so that when I'm having a rough moment, I just go back to that. I read those times. I remember when I was graduating high school and I just felt completely lost. I was rejected to the school I thought I wanted to go to, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, so I wrestled with God all summer. When summer ended, it got worse because all my friends were leaving for school, and I was stuck looking for a job that I didn't want to do and living at home where I didn't want to live. Then a few months into working, I actually put my thumb through a table saw, which is a story for another time, but I ended up unable to work for months. And I remember sitting in my bed at night feeling just completely lost. I was frustrated. I was lonely. And I cried out to God every single day, trying to ask God, God, what do you want from me? God, show me what you want. What do you want me to do? Why am I going through this right now? What is happening in my life? I remember praying to God for like an email, right? I remember praying to God, God, write it down, put it on a billboard, make it so clear. I want to do what you want me to do, but God, you have to show me. One day I was hanging out with my mentor and he encouraged me to go into ministry. And I really disagreed, but I figured at that point, like what else could I lose? So I applied to three schools, none of which I'd ever actually visited before, and I prayed to God, God, help me financially, because my parents were going through a divorce, and money was tight, and the only way I could ever afford school outside of the state of Virginia was with financial help. Within a month of me applying, I got a letter back from Milligan College in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I was given two scholarships. I was given an academic scholarship and a leadership scholarship, which if you knew me in high school, you would have laughed out loud. Neither of which made sense. I didn't excel academically and I barely led anything, but here they were offering me those scholarships. But now I can recognize that years later, I get to be a pastor at, in my opinion, the greatest church in the world. I get to see life changed every single week, just like my family 20 years ago. And I get to use my education and I get to lead. Sometimes you just have to remember the faithfulness of God. I remember walking onto the campus for the first time, nervous and excited to choose my classes classes and get college started, but still feeling like I was lonely. You know, I was going to a school in the Bible Belt in Johnson City. I'd never been to Johnson City. I knew kind of some people that might have been going there. In fact, my roommate, who I thought I knew, didn't even show up, but I was lonely. I was trying to figure out what am I doing with my life? And I remember waiting in line to get my picture taken for my ID, and a cute girl behind me teased me and said I should smile in my picture which I didn't do because I don't like when people tell me what to do. But the whole way home, my mom talked about this cute girl. And a few months later, we would meet again, and she wouldn't remember me. And then we would actually meet again, and she still wouldn't remember me, but I was persistent. And eventually, we would start dating. And four years later, we would get married. And I haven't felt lonely since the day I I met Ray. Sometimes you just have to remember the faithfulness of God. I remember when Ray and I were struggling financially in our first year of marriage and I came home from work one day to find a random gift a random card and a gift card in it to buy groceries and it was enough to get us through the month. I remember when we got our first bill after a surgery I had and the cost was going to be over $10,000. And at this point of our life, we didn't even have a savings. So we prayed to God that a miracle would happen. And we went into the financial office at the hospital and we shared with them that I'm a pastor. Ray was working at Starbucks to support my dream and the hospital waived the debt, no questions asked. I remember when Ray had emergency surgery and the doctor told us that we needed to start thinking about trying to have children because the window was closing and that it could take up to a year before we ever figured out if if pregnancy was a possibility. And one month later, she was pregnant with Elise. Sometimes you just have to go back through your life and remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So what do you do when you're in the valley? The first thing is that you remember. And the second thing is that you embrace. Too often, instead of embracing God in the pain, we simply try to endure it. And some of you are in that place right now where you're just trying to endure this pain and endure this brokenness that you're feeling, but we're not called to endure, we're called to embrace, because enduring is a passive response to something that's happening to you. So we don't just endure, what we do is when we're in the valley, we embrace who God is. We embrace and believe that God is still good. Now, if you think about Habakkuk in this situation, he felt like the enemy, the Babylonians, were winning, and they were. And he looked, and he recognizes that this is bad, but it's actually about to get worse. But he embraced the situation with everything in him, and he still praised God. He declared, my God is still on the throne. He praised God saying, my God has always been good. He praised God by saying, my God is always faithful. What I love about this is that Habakkuk's not in denial. This is not him pretending that bad things aren't happening. Instead, it's him looking the bad news in the face and declaring, I still trust my God. With everything in me, I continue to embrace his goodness. And so, watch as Habakkuk does this. In chapter one, he wrestles. In chapter two, he waits. In chapter three, he embraces. He he wrote this He said, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. And so he's afraid. God just told him that he's gonna raise up the Babylonians to destroy the people that he loves. So he's scared, but he continues. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. And so he's saying it's bad, but it's going to get worse. It's going to be brutal. He knows that there's gonna be tremendous suffering, but yet he continues. He continues even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty. Now you might say it this way, though I'm still praying and I'm not seeing an answer, though we're still believing that we can conceive even though we've not conceived, though I'm still asking God for that job or that blessing or that answer and I still haven't seen it, though we've lost something so valuable and we don't understand. Though I've cried my eyes out and prayed with everything in me that you would heal my dad, though he's not healed. And, and, and though these things are bad right now, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. So the life isn't what Habakkuk had hoped it would be. He still rejoices. The life isn't what he wanted it to be. He was joyful and there are a dozen reasons why, why I might not want to rejoice or be joyful, but this is not a half-hearted song to God. This is shijanas. This is full body, full soul, everything within me declaring the praise and the goodness and the glory of God, even though I do not see what I want to see. And so what is Habakkuk doing? He's wrestling and he's embracing He's wrestling and he's embracing. This isn't half-hearted. This isn't a partial declaration to God. This comes from the depths of his soul. This is the faith that worships when everything is not right. This is the faith that gives God praise when you don't like what you see. This is a cry from the depths of our heart, believing in the goodness of God in the middle of pain. This is chapter three. This is praise before God provides. Not for the what, but for the who. This is what Habakkuk means. Habakkuk literally means to wrestle and to embrace. It means to wrestle. God, I don't understand what you're doing, and it means to embrace. But God, I still think you are good. Last week, we introduced a new song called Here Again, and we're actually going give, to give you all a chance to sing it again today. But this time, you're not going to sing it half-heartedly. This time, I believe you're gonna sing it with shijinath. You're gonna sing it passionately. And some of you are going to praise before God has provided. Some of you are going to sing before you're even sure you believe. Some of you are gonna sing with everything you have, with the joy and the pain that's deep down in your soul. Now, here's a few of the lyrics that we're gonna sing in a few moments. The song says this, As I walk now through the valley, let your love rise above every fear. Like the sun shaping the shadow, in my weakness, your glory appears. Like, how real does that feel? As we are in this place, as we're in this valley, the fear that we have, the doubts that we have, the insecurity that we have, the pain that we feel, we're crying out to God, God, let your love rise above all of that. God, that in my weakness, let me see your glory. The song continues. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? And again, this is this idea of remembering and embracing, God, I've seen you move in my life. God, I've seen you move in this valley that I'm in right now or this valley that somehow I managed to get myself back into. And God, I'm begging you and I'm pleading with you, do it again. God, come back to me. Meet me here again. Meet me in this place again. And we'll sing this. We'll sing, not for a moment was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. But God is in his holy temple. Even in the pain that we feel, even in the brokenness that we feel, not for a moment will God forsake us, will he forget us, will he run away from us, because God is here. God is still in his holy temple. So chapter one, don't quit on God. And chapter two, don't walk away from God. And Habakkuk doesn't resolve to make the most out of a bad situation. It's so much deeper than that. What he does is he looks truth in the face and he he says, this isn't good and this is going to get worse. There are no grapes coming. There are no blossoms coming. There is only judgment. But he says, God is still in his temple and he is still worthy of praise. And here's what I want you to see. God never does what Habakkuk wants him to do. Habakkuk 3 is the end. It just ends. God, the Babylonians come. They destroy those people. God doesn't do what Habakkuk wants him to do because this is not a sitcom. There's never the moment where all the problems are solved, where all the pain goes away, where a moment of miraculous luck changes the day. It never happens. Habakkuk ends, and God doesn't provide relief. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't make life easy for Habakkuk. But I want you to see the very last verse of this book in chapter 3, and this is how Habakkuk ends this book. He says this. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Habakkuk finishes by saying, I will remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God, and I will embrace and believe that God is still good. He is my strength. And so what do I know about God? I know this. I, I enjoy, I love God on the mountaintops, right? When things are going well, we love having a relationship with God. I appreciate him when life is good, but I get to know him in the valleys, I love to praise God for the what, but in the valleys, I simply praise him for who he is. I like to brag about God on the mountaintops, but I get to know him intimately in the valley. And when you start to have this perspective of God, you do what James said in James 1. It says, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He says, consider it pure joy whenever I don't understand, whenever I face trials of many kinds, because I know that these trials and hardships are doing something within me. They develop perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so I can be mature and complete, not lacking anything, so I can remember and embrace. So we praise God even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel like it, not just for what we see or what we don't, but for who he is. And I want you to understand is that you can't have chapter three type of intimacy with God without chapter one wrestling and without chapter two waiting. And when we go through that, when we're in those moments, there's something that God develops in us. He develops a trust and a faith and a passion. And so what do you do when you're in the valley? We remember the goodness and faithfulness of God. And we embrace and believe that God is so good. You may wrestle, but don't let go. Let's pray. God, it is so hard um, to praise you when we feel pain. God, it's so hard to remember and to embrace when we feel brokenness. God, when we feel like we're stuck in a valley that we can't get out of, or maybe someone else put us in that valley, God, it is so hard to praise you. But God, I pray that as we struggle and as we wrestle, God, that we turn toward you and we truly figure out how do we remember and how do we embrace so that we can enjoy what you offer us. God, we can enjoy the life that you offer us, the faith that you offer us, the hope that you offer us. God, I pray right now as people feel like they're in that space, they feel like they're in that valley, God, that they don't lose sight of you. God, that they don't pretend like everything's okay. They're not naive about it. And God, that they don't walk away, but God, they embrace. And God, they remember the times that you've shown up. And God, ultimately that we pray, God, please do it again. Meet us here again. God, thank you for Habakkuk. God, thank you that we get to read a real book with a real person who struggled. God, we're thankful that there's no real resolution because sometimes life doesn't have real resolution. But God, I pray as we struggle and as we wrestle, God, we ultimately move closer to you and experience the life that you offer us. God, we love you and pray this in your name, amen.